G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. A challenge to reach out to the desperate people in your community. From Dr. Michael Youssef. Beloved, all around you, all around you, there are people that you have probably given up on. All around you, there are people that you're not paying attention to. They are desperate for inner healing. They are desperate for salvation. They are desperate for forgiveness and release. This is Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Born in Egypt and trained as a pastor and cultural anthropologist, Dr. Youssef has a unique perspective on how the Bible speaks to current culture. You'll hear that today as he continues his series, Look Who Moved Out. Today, see how Jesus touched and changed the heart of a social outcast of her community and how her encounter with Christ impacted an entire region. Likening this experience to testifying in court, here's Dr. Yusuf. A witness in the court of law is only supposed to do two things. It's supposed to tell the truth, and it's supposed to tell of what he or she saw or heard. That's all. They're not called to be responsible for the verdict, although the testimony might influence the verdict, but it's not their responsibility. Uh, they are not required to know all of the intricacies of the law and, and the nuances of the law. They're not required to understand all of, of the procedures and the protocol of the court. They're not required to even understand the process that takes place. No. Two things. Tell the truth. Tell what they've experienced, what they saw, and what they heard. And that's precisely what this Samaritan woman did. She was a credible witness for Christ. We saw in the last message how when she had that encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, we saw how first she put on some defense mechanisms. She rattled off some canned uh, religious formulas uh, that never brought her satisfaction. Religion never brings satisfaction. Only Jesus does. And once Jesus pierced through that religious veneer of hers, she went into the village testifying about Jesus. Come and see. Come and see. That's all she said. Come and see. What did Jesus do to change this woman's life? I want you to listen carefully because it is so simple. It really is. We saw in the last message how he did not try to be philosophical. (laughs) He did not try to impress her about how much knowledge he has. That would have blown her out of the water. He did not try to give her some psychological advice. He did not pontificate about her lifestyle. He, He even did not try to analyze her sociological situation. He didn't do any of this. (laughs) Instead, he lovingly put his finger on the very source of her pain, and then his willingness to heal that pain. Jesus knew that this woman was regarded as a moral pariah in her village, and he did not try to add to her pain. 
He did not try to shame her or embarrass her. She had plenty of that already. Ah, but he sought to deliver her from the very source of her pain. He sought to rescue her from the very core of her agony. He sought to heal her from the very center of her anguish. He sought to help her face up to the central problem of her life. You see, the Bible is very clear. For true redemption to take place in anyone's life, there are two steps. There is repentance, and there is belief. One is human, the other one is divine. Repentance is a human act that I come and repent of my sins. Belief or faith is a divine act. Regeneration of my heart and a change of my is a divine act. And until we admit our needs, we cannot experience the transforming power of God in our lives. And Jesus knew that until she faces up to her core need, she cannot be set free. In fact, this is the biblical principle, actually, which is is used by a lot of groups like AA and many others. Until they bring a person face-to-face with their need and confess their need and admit their need, they cannot be helped. How did Jesus do that? Well, first thing He said to her, go and bring your husband. (laughs) Well, I have no husband, which is technically correct. Technically correct. You know, some people tell half-truths, and they convince themselves they are technically correct. (laughs) They do. Abraham lied when he got to Egypt. I wanted trying to save his skin. So he lied about Sarah, and he said, she's my sister. Well, he was technically correct. <laughs> She's half-sister. You see, he convinced himself that he's technically right, but he knew he was lying. Sadly, some Christians do the same thing. They tell half-truth, and they convince themselves that they are technically correct. That smoke screen will never allow you to get to the very core of your problem. That is why Jesus had to pierce through the fog of that technicality. You have seen how, read about how some criminals get off scot-free because of technicality. Oh, but God knows the full truth. And Jesus said, you're right. (laughs) You're exactly right in saying that you have no husband at this moment. You somehow conveniently left out the fact that you have five ex-husbands. You overlooked that little detail. (laughs) And by the way, the matter of this guy with whom you're shacking up right now, he's not your husband, but you're living with him. One of the reasons why the church in the West is so weak and insipid is because there are so many people in these churches who are going around being technically right. They rationalize and explain away their moral failure instead of repenting of it. They convince themselves that everybody is in the same boat. They tell themselves that this is the way we have to do business. They convince themselves that this is just the way society is, and we can't help it. This is just how you live and you let live. And it goes on and on and on. In reality, history shows us so clearly that the very secret of true, genuine Holy Spirit revival is a true repentance, not covering up and being technically right. 
as long as we try to be technically right, as long as we live in denial and evasion and putting up defenses, as long as we never get to the core of our sin, whatever it may be, only you know it and I know it, we will not see a genuine Holy Spirit revival. I know many of us are praying for… people praying for revival all over the country. As I travel the nation, I see and I hear people praying for a revival. But beloved, until we come clean with God and become a repentant people and know how to repent before God, we're not going to see the genuine Holy Spirit revival. We're going to see crowds. We're going to see masses, but not a genuine Holy Spirit revival. And just in case you think that I'm a super-duper guy, I want you to know that when I am before the great physician who sees the very depth of my heart, I weep bitter tears of repentance. When I'm on that examination table on a daily basis before the great physician, I'm on the face of repentance. And those of us who really want a genuine Holy Spirit revival, we had better start repenting of the very core of sin in our life, whether it be pride, whether it be telling half-truth, whether it is stealing God's tithe and money and keeping it in our pockets, whatever it may be, only you know what it is and I only know what it is for me. Until then, we're not going to see God move with a harvest. So let me appeal to you today. Begin to say, Lord, what is my part? Am I hindering the revival? Am I stopping your work from going forward? Am I stopping harvest from being reaped because of the way I live, because of the way I conduct myself, because of the way I deal with you, because of the way I deal with others? In fact, there is a whole modern evangelical movement today which really is promoting this type of thinking. They say repentance is old-fashioned. Repentance is not consistent with grace, so they say. Repentance is not for believers back to the Samaritan woman. The way Jesus led her into repentance was not by scolding her. It was not by shaming her. It was not by embarrassing her. It was not by ridiculing her. It was not even by condemning her, but by accepting her and loving her, something she has never experienced from her own people. This is new to her. She had never seen that. And while I'm at it, I want to make a distinction because there are a lot of preachers and teachers and schools, even Christian schools, are teaching kids that in order to be tolerant, that is to accept people, that you have to accept their sin, whatever it may be. Now, that is the curse of the age, and that is why I always want to make sure you understand what I'm talking about. He loved her. He accepted her, but he never accepted her sin. He had never winked at her sin. He never rationalized her sin. He never said, well, it doesn't matter really well. It's just, you know, you got the pressure on you, and you had to do this, and, and you just couldn't help it. I mean, after all, that's just it's in your disposition. No, no. And we need to pray for wisdom and really cry to God for wisdom so we know what it is to love a sinner, but never wink at sin whether it be in our life or in the life of others. But Jesus accepted her as a person, and He 
led her into confession and repentance. He reached into her innermost being. He exposed her real life. He revealed to her the secret of her emptiness. He revealed to her the secret of her thirst. Ah, when he did this, she dropped her defenses. She opened up like a book. Obviously, men used her. I dare say abused her. I don't want to get into psychoanalyzing the people in the Bible. I don't do that. (laughs) But then she sees a man who did not want anything from her, but he wanted to give her something, something she desperately needed. He wanted nothing from her, but he wanted to give her everything she longed for, everything she thirsted for, freedom from guilt, forgiveness of sin, restoration of dignity, peace of mind, joy unspeakable, and eternal life assured. Oh, glory to God, for she found finally true and real, genuine love. Now, beloved, this woman could be a woman or a man that you know. Perhaps that person feels rejected and consequently feels as if they have no worth. Perhaps that person has been emotionally so wounded and inflicted in adolescent years, and they're carrying these burdens. Perhaps that person has such convoluted ideas of who God is. Whatever and wherever there are, They have deep thirst for true love and acceptance, and only Jesus can give you that. Perhaps, like many in our culture, this Samaritan woman experienced what it is to fall in love. You know what I'm talking about? It's been so many years ago, I guess. (laughs) She experienced that tingling sensation. You You know what I'm talking about? The light-headed euphoria the fluttering of the heart and and the throbbing of the pulse. Most of our modern music is all about this kind of love, isn't it? But I hate to disappoint you by telling you that you can go through all of these what I call trappings of love without experiencing true love. Falling in love can only go so far. But true and lasting love is far deeper True and lasting love says, I'm committed to you no matter what, for thick and thin, I'm there. And that is why Jesus ever so gently confronts the Samaritan woman about her fruitless search, as if to say to her, your fruitless search not only ruined your reputation, but it destroys you from the inside. Oh, but the only gift of God that only Jesus can give her can truly quench the thirst of the heart. Only the living, bubbling, flowing water that we saw in the last message, that water of the Holy Spirit can set you free and make you whole. And that is why she unashamedly, boldly ran into the village streets Village that has ridiculed her. Village that has looked down at her. Village that mumbled every time she walked by the street. She walked into those same streets, and she testified to what Jesus did for her. Come and see. Come and see. That's all you're supposed to do. That's what a witness is supposed to do. Tell the truth. 
tell what you see and you heard. And that's all she did. And that's all that you and I are supposed to do. Verse 20, this Samaritan woman was still hung up on what church to go to. And Jesus said to her, as far as my Father in heaven is concerned, because He is spirit, therefore He primarily cares for the condition of the heart of the worshiper, not the building. You know, we still have hang-ups about this. We really do. We still talk about, well, you know, I want a church that meets my needs, a, a church that I'd really like, a church that has my taste of music, and we talk about all this stuff. But, beloved, listen to me. I want to be bold with you, as if it's something new. <laughs> That's an indication there is a heart problem. These are questions that avoid the very core of Christian worship and what Christian worship is all about. Verse 23, those who worship my Father worship Him in the Holy Spirit and in truth. God is far more concerned about the spiritual condition of the worshiper than the building that they go to. God is far more concerned about confessing and repenting believers than personalities. God is more longing for a genuinely broken heart, genuinely sacrificing heart, a genuinely giving heart, not personalities. If you go to worship thinking, what can I get out of it today? You won't. You won't get anything. And you're going to hop from church to church and never feel settled. Why? There's a hard problem that needs to be dealt with. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you go to worship saying, Lord, I came to give you, give you glory, give you honor, pay you homage, magnify your name, praise your name, thank you and lift you up you're going to be blessed out of your socks. Amen. Verse 29, she said to her village friends, come and see. She forgot her water jug, <laughs> and she became an evangelist. Isn't that great? <laughs> and that is true and genuine conversion. In fact, that's all that Jesus expects of us. Tell people to come and see. We saw how these four friends brought their friends to the feet of Jesus. Then we saw how the boy brought his lunch to Jesus. And here, the Samaritan woman brought her village to Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Come and see! Come and see Jesus. And that is why Jesus points out to the disciples and said to them, you know, when it comes to harvesting and planting of wheat or whatever it may be, timing is of necessity. Timing is very important. But when it comes to spiritual harvest, time is irrelevant. Planting and harvesting can take place in a heartbeat. You can plant, harvest all at the same time. And the one thing that the planter and the harvester will have in, in common is that they're both going to be rejoicing. Both are going to be celebrating. Jesus planted a seed, harvested a soul. And that soul went in and harvested seed and reaped a whole village. Verse 39, many came to Christ believing her testimony, and there Jesus stayed for two days in that city. Two days. 
Jesus saw a harvest of repentance among the very people that were despised and that were rejected by all the Jewish rabbi and the Jewish public. Jesus saw salvation in vast numbers among the very people uh, to whom the Jews had to walk two and a half extra days in their order to avoid going through their village. Beloved, all around you, all around you, there are people that you have probably given up on. All around you, there are people that you're not paying attention to. People that you thought they are beyond salvation. People that you have totally ignored. People that you try to avoid, but they're desperate. <laughs> they're desperate for the living water. <laughs> they are desperate for spiritual worship and worship in the Spirit. They are desperate for inner healing. They are desperate for salvation. They are desperate for forgiveness and release. Many years ago, there were a group of men who were panning for gold in the mountains of Montana. All of a sudden, one of them came across a, a large rock, and sure enough, there is there's gold in it. And then they all went to that same spot, and, and they all began to find that precious metal. And they got so excited and started yelling, we found it, we found it, we found it, we found gold. But then they kind of had to interrupt their celebration just for a little bit in order that they may go down to the town and to buy some supplies. They needed supplies. But before they went down, they had a meeting, and they agreed and covenanted with each other. Not a word, not one word to the people of the town. We're going to keep that to ourselves. And so they go into town, they buy their supplies, and to their utter amazement, they looked back halfway up, and there a whole lot of people from the town were following them. The leader basically was incensed. He looked at his group and he said, Who squealed? The people of the town answered that question. They said, Nobody squealed. But we saw it all over your face. You showed it on your face. Beloved, sometimes our face of joy can testify to Christ. Our faces of peace can testify to Christ. Our faces of love for genuine love for people can testify to Christ. And all you can say, come and see. Come and see. Remember this. We are not in the world testifying to Christ, but we are in Christ being witnesses to the world. Another powerful Leading the Way message from Dr. Michael Youssef. Remember, you can listen to this message in its entirety when you visit ltw.org or use the Leading the Way app on your mobile devices, ltw.org. Well, with that music, our time together is at an end for today. Do listen again next time. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf. Connect via television, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and all of the social media networks. Thanks for 
for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.